0: Welcome to Amago Day, the program that brings you theological and philosophical reflections for today's world. This is your host, Joseph Terry. And peace to all of you in Christ. Um, Great to have all of you again here uh, today. Um, What I'm looking to do uh, is offer a short reflection on the following topic God and the good life. Two questions I would like for us to sit with as we um, muse and meditate over uh, this particular topic. The first question is Who is God? Who is God? And the second question is, what is the good life? Now, the question of the good life is a classical philosophical question. We can see figures like Plato and Aristotle musing about this particular uh, uh, question. What is the good life? What is the ideal Life, the best kind of life, in light of our design, in light of the cosmos, in light of the varying particularities of our of our condition, how ought we to live? How should we live? Um, and that question of how should we live, of course, is intrinsically connected to the question of what is the good life. For how you and I live, whether or not we are aware of it, is a reflection of what we believe the ideal life to be, what the best kind of life is for us. And now, of course, we find ourselves in a postmodern some will say even post-secular uh, age, there is a kind of deep uh, subjectivism and relativism that is that is about us. Um, our paradigm, our worldview is profoundly shaped by that, of course, along with many other things. But with the relativism and subjectivism that we all carry, we approach the question of what is a good life uh, from that particular posture, Uh, we say simply, oh, well, that all depends on the individual. Um, there's nothing uh, necessarily objective to to anchor that question in such a way where we can arrive at a universal truth. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to go into all the, the, the different instantiations uh, uh, regarding this question and the, and the various positions thereof, but I just want us to have us really sit and have you reflect today. What is the good life? What is the best life? And, of course, the question who is God, is going to be a question that is married to the question of the good life. Now, my temptation today was to come to you uh, going um, deeper into the question of the good life and just getting us to muse about different perspectives of of what that is and, and what are we bring to the table. But I thought it was wise for us to actually begin the other way around. I want us to sit with the question of God. Now, The reality is, of course, I come to all of you with the um, uh, position. um, I come to you as a Christian. That's my presupposition. That's what I'm bringing to the table. Um, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of the way, as it were. And so when I speak of God and I and I uh, theologically muse about God, it is uh, shaped and informed by what I believe as a definitive and decisive revelation of God in Jesus Christ, in and through the Holy Spirit. And so the reflection today about God and the good life will be coming from who i am as a person this is as as always uh and all of us we we come from where we are all of our thinking and doing is uh for the most part deeply uh autobiographical and so with that said I want us to have, uh, I would like to spend a little time in scripture today. And I want to start with the book of origins, the book of beginnings, or better as we know it today, called Genesis. And this book uh, is the first book in the Christian Bible. This is the first book um, in the Tanakh, in the uh, writings uh, and the prophets and the Torah for the Jew. And so here we go, it's the first book of Moses out of the five books, and it begins in such a classical way, we, we all know this beginning, it, it, it goes as such. And I'm just going to look here at verse, verses one to three of chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the spirit of god was hovering over the surface of the waters i'm here reading from the nlt translation for no particular reason that's just a translation i'm reading from verse three then god said let there be light and there was light and of course the narrative goes on now Before we muse theologically about these few verses, please keep in mind that this is a writing that comes down to us uh, uh, in history, going back well over twenty five hundred years. Right. I mean, this is an ancient text and even though i read it to you in english and i'm able to uh and all of us are able to read this out of a a particular english translation let us not think that we understand all the um all the background therein you know what i mean like we, th- this is steeped in history and a particular literature and a genre of, of thought form that, that, that is, for the most part, alien to us. And so the temptation is when we come to a text like this, uh, we come with our modernistic lens, we come with a kind of historical naivete, uh, You know, there's a sort of arrogance, it's like, oh, what is this? I mean, uh, surely in, in light of the current findings of cosmology and astrophysics and evolutionary theory, da, 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 we start waxing eloquently and, you know, no, no let's just put all that aside. And if we are serious about doing our homework i i just invite you to get a good commentary i invite you to go into the actual hebrew i encourage you to look at the socio-political and east uh, socio-political and economic context of the ancient near eastern world that this is uh, formed out of right um uh, and the surrounding nations like babylon and their uh mythology all of that that kind of homework has to really happen if you want to get deep in into a text like Genesis. And so let me just say this, that what I just read, and and of course, as the story goes on, this language is really anthropomorphic language, anthropomorphic language. Um, And in its poetic language, okay? It's language uh, about God, as a Christian, I believe, revealed from God, inspiring the author by the Holy Spirit, right? This is the word of God about God in the sense and about all of creation, but it is articulated to us, it comes to us in a language that is very simple, childlike, basic. And we see here God speaking, right? Uh, An anthropomorphic language uh, to suggest something that actually uh, is true to how God reveals, but at the same time is infinitely more profound than the actual image that bears this communication, right? So God uh, is all of that in a bag of chips, as we would say. So there's a few things here as we reflect on this. Um, I just want you know, he, we 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 start here with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes on. Right, a few points I just want to share here. We see just from the opening uh, few verses of Genesis is that God transcends space, time, and matter. That is to say, God is not conditioned. God is not limited by what you and I experience is as the world, as the cosmos. God, in some w- profound way, stands above creation. He is the author of creation. It's another point here, right? He is the architect, the engineer, the artist of creation. But unlike any artist, where an artist works with pre-existing material, like acrylic, uh, a canvas, and a brush, God does not work with any pre-existent material. This is what the church uh, calls creatio ex nihilio, right? God creates out of nothing. Hence the phrase we see in verse three, uh, then God said, let there be light, right? That his very word is a performative word. That creation itself is a linguistic event to highlight God's majesty and God's power and God's splendor. This is magnificent. Right. This, this is a God who is beyond um, comprehension, beyond anything that we can muster up in our minds, yet we are able to speak of God, we're able to talk about God, we're able to muse about God, precisely because God has revealed himself as such. In other words, our knowledge of God and our relationship with God is predicated on God's decisive revelation of Himself. We come to know God because He reveals Himself. I mean, just like you would come to know me. Now, you may uh, you could you could come to learn a lot a lot about me, uh, going online, talking to my friends. You can um, do some research, and you will acquire a lot of facts about me right? And come to varying degree of knowledge concerning me. But to know me, uh, to get to know me, you would need me to reveal myself to you in the context of dialogue, dialogos, right? Sharing in word, sharing in being. And in this sense is how God reveals himself as person, as transcendent person, Now, there's so much more, of course, in Genesis, so much more to say. Um, For instance, the, the same God who is infinitely transcendent above all creation is also the same God who is intimately connected to us. Right. He is, as theologians will call, radically eminent. He is transcendent and eminent. He is closer to you than you are to yourself profound intimate and and wild language but let me just now jump to what we christians call the new testament and i want to come right actually right now to the gospel of john Um, it's the fourth out of the four gospels is the fourth gospel in uh the new testament i want to read here verses one through four and then jump to verse 14 because this same god that is revealed in genesis the one who speaks light into being, who speaks all of creation into being, that, right? That 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 creation itself is a linguistic event, as I just mentioned, is the same God who is. Um, Going to <laughs> shock us uh, in a in a in a fresh way. So let me just read it. It says here, in the beginning. No, notice how the author uh, of of the Gospel of John. Notice how John is echoing intentionally the opening of the Tanakh of the of the books of Moses of the Torah. He's echoing it here. So here it is, chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. It goes on here, verse 4. The Word gave life to everyone that was created, to everyone that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Let me just read verse 5 here. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Well, jumping to verse 14, something very interesting. It goes on to say here, still in chapter 1, So the Word became human, the Word became flesh, and made his home among us, or tabernacled among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Echoing the ancient Nicene Creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. This is Jesus Christ, so though the word that is being talked about here, which in Greek is logos, right, um, reason or wisdom or word, a form of expression of God, takes up our nature, takes up the particular thinitude and the conditioned context of our existence. God, who is impassable and immovable, God who transcends all things, is a God it is this God who, by virtue of his love, chooses to enter into our flesh, our body, our bone, in the sense, takes up human nature so he can walk our walk, so that he can experience the tears that you and I taste. This is the God made flesh, which is why Christmas uh, in the ecclesial calendar is such an important event because at that time we commemorate the enfleshment of God. God takes up the fullness of our existential reality. This is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah okay so you may be sitting there and asking yourself all right that that sounds wonderful joe this is uh, okay it's beautiful great amen you know all right cool um what about that well saint augustine a fourth century bishop from north africa a place called hippo right uh, augustine of hippo actually is where his um bishopric was at where, where he his diocese was at uh, this individual augustine writes in his work the confession something so beautiful i mean the entire book confessions is is i just encourage you to go and read it but it's a very famous line that comes out of it um the entire book is really a prayer from augustine to god and in this in the opening of the book he says you have made us for yourself O lord and our heart is restless until it rests in you Now, this is jam-packed with Christian anthropology. Let me read this one more time. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This is St. Augustine. And what he is saying here is something I think so deep and so profound and so true that we find ourselves restless, we find ourselves longing and yearning and searching and empty inside, regardless of how much we attempt to fill that vacuum in our heart with the varying pleasures this world has to offer with the pursuit of material acquisition or status or wealth with losing ourselves in fantasy and and other domains, uh, regardless, right, in all of our doing, and and I think Solomon in in, in the work Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament uh, captures this so beautifully. In all that we do, we find that in the final analysis, in the end, we are still haunted. We are still longing for something else. The inarticulate. It's just there's something there, there's a a deep despair, as a as Kierkegaard will write about. Um, that 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 is that, that cannot be extinguished. And this is what Augustine is pointing out when he said, Ah, you have made us for yourself, O oh Lord. And our heart is restless. It's restless until it rests in you. And so I submit to you that. The question of the good life cannot fully be satisfied unless we recognize that we were made for He who created us. We were made for God and for God alone. That for those who have God in their heart, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for those who've said yes to Christ's saving grace, those who walk with the Lord. They may not have anything on this side of eternity. They may not have anything by way of status and honor and, 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 and material and hedonistic um, acquisitions, but they have actually more than all the world can offer. They have that deep satisfaction. They have home. They found their home. And so, what I want to do is, I want to share with you three practical steps you can take to live the good life in light of what God has revealed. Step number one, feast on Jesus. Now, this sounds a little weird, right? Feast on Jesus. What does that even mean? Well, in the gospel of John, that same gospel that I just read to you, um, there was a scene there where Jesus is in a synagogue um, and and he's preaching and he's telling uh, those who are listening to him, hey, my body is food and my blood is drink. Eat my flesh and drink my blood and you will have life. You will have eternal life. You will be satisfied. You will be satiated. Your thirst will be quenched. So this is the food that lasts. Jesus is the food that lasts. You see, we go around and 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 uh, we we look for things that can satisfy. They take they tickle our fancy. They may give us pleasure in the moment. They give us some sort of. Um, superfluous goals that we've established. But again, in the end, as our heads lay on the bed and as we wake up and in the the more quiet and sober moments of our lives, we realize, man, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more. Well, Jesus is the source and summit of all that is, the fullness. God made flesh. He came all the way down to you and I so that we can learn how to feast on him. So how do we do this practically, pragmatically? Simply by staying in scripture, praying and opening our hearts to the Lord, frequenting the sacraments, receiving baptism, going to the bread and to the cup to receive literally his body and blood, to partake of him in fellowship, in communion, in community with other followers to spend time in prayer. These are just some of the ways we learn how to feast on Jesus. And on feasting on Jesus, I really believe it is part and parcel of having a key to having the good life. Number two, every day, humbly surrender your life, your heart, your mind to the Lord. Just every day when you wake up in the morning, you say, Lord, this day is yours my wife just recently shared with me something she read and she said you know it's a beautiful prayer that she came across which said that when we start the day we can one of the simple prayers we can offer to the lord is lord order my day order my day according to your will just take control and it's true and there's something beautiful that comes with that life becomes an adventure When we open ourselves up to the uh, divine appointments, to how the spirit is going to lead us on a um, uh, day-to-day turn of events, life becomes adventurous. No longer are we caught up in the mundanity of everyday life, but we have a different posture. We recognize that the one whom we feast on, Christ, is also the same one who is leading us drawing us and pursuing us in all these things, which then leads me to the third point, the third practical step you and I can take to live the good life in light of God's revelation. And that is to love radically and truly from your heart to love radically and truly from your heart. All those you and I encounter every day, I love the way St. Augustine, excuse me, St. Thomas Aquinas puts the definition of love. He says, love, what is love? Love is to will the good of the other as other. To will the good of the other as other. I love that definition of love. Notice that the word will signifies volition. It signifies choice. To choose the good of the other that's like a, a weird and peculiar way of saying person but it's intentional to say other as other means we are willing the good of others of people of a person not so we can get something in return right neither are we loving the person in a way that ignores their dignity and worth which in fact wouldn't be love right that would be a form of objectification of using that person as an object rendering them as a thing recon- than ra- rather than recognizing them as a person we are choosing to love to to de- to to have their good before our minds and hearts and to pursue that that's what it means to love like Christ loved to love radically and truly from your heart from my heart all those we encounter this can be done through simple acts of service. Simple acts of service. As simple as smiling. As blessing people. As walking the extra mile when someone needs you to walk with them. Going out of your way to help someone in need. Giving up your seat on the bus. Now, this sounds cheesy and weird, but I, I, I dare you, I double dog dare you to do that. Begin to live like that and you will see how your heart becomes filled with joy and peace. And you know why? Because we were made for that. We were made to be like our Father in heaven. We were made to be like God. And that's what the Bible means in Genesis when it says we are made in the image of and likeness of god and so i encourage all of you to go out and to recognize that man you know the good life can actually be had you don't have to wait to have millions of dollars to have the good life in fact that could actually lead to a a horrendous life there's so much that god has for us so my prayer for each one of you is crack open that bible Open your heart in prayer. Go deep. Go vast. Go wide. Recognize God is calling all of us to Himself for the sake of love. <laughs>